right, now we move on to chapter 4. And worship in heaven. Now, as you look in your text there, let me give you some things pretty quickly here. Five changes. If you'll stay with me on, on page 2 of your notes, at the bottom of that page, notice it says there, Probably something like part three, things that shall be hereafter or something like this. If you had to say there at the bottom of the page, I want you to jot these five things down. These are not on the screen. They won't be on on the screens here, but if you'll just jot, jot these down. As we get into chapter four, we're actually seeing five changes getting ready to happen. First of all, a change of sections. So far in our study in these four and a half weeks together now, We've studied chapters 1, 2, and 3, and we've actually now covered two sections of the three sections of this entire book. And so what we have now is a change of sections. If you go to chapter 1, verse 19, just for the for sake of review here, notice what it says there, write the things which you have seen, that's part 1, the things which are, that's the churches, that's part 2, and now part 3, the things which will take place after this. Now stay with me right there in verse 19, and notice the word words after this. Here's what I want you to write down there somewhere, maybe just to the right of where you just wrote down the phrase, a change of sections. Write down these two words, I'm going to spell them out for you, meta, M-E-T-A, tauta is the second, T-A-U-T-A, I'll do that again. Metatauta, M-E-T-A-T-A-U-T-A. Now, I promise you, I'm not speaking in tongues. That's, that's what the words after this are in Revelation 1.19. Now, in the King James Version, you might have hereafter or something like that. that it's the same idea. But it's the Greek words metatauta. Metatauta actually refers to things that something will take place after this. In other words, immediately after this, then something else is going to happen. Let's read it in that light. Write the things that you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. So after the churches, after these seven churches, after this period of time, other things are going to happen. All right, hang on to that. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Second thing I want you to write down under, under a change of sections, write down a change of time. A change of time. So now we have this phrase, metatauta. There's a change of time here after these things. In other words, these things have been happening. In fact, we are still in the church age. We're still here. And so after the church, after that, there's a new time, a new thing getting ready to happen. And that's where this comes into play. Now, now go with me to chapter 4, verse 1. Now, twice in chapter 4, verse 1, we have our phrase, metatauta. After this, or after these things, it's the same two words. After this. In other words, after chapters 2 and 3, after the seven churches. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Metatauta. Here's what we have here, a picture. This is a significant hinge verse to let us know. 
Chapter 1, the things that you have seen, Jesus in His glorified body. The things which are, chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches of Asia Minor, and the things which will take place after this, chapter 4, verse 1, to chapter 22, verse 5 is the third section. And that's what we're getting ready to embark into. And so he's letting us know here in a very interesting and key way this is a hinge point toward a new section, and that's where we are. Number three, we have a change of experience for John. A change of experience. Notice what it says here. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. The first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must, and that's our key, must take place after this. Must is an interesting little word spelled D-E-I. But it is pronounced just like we pronounce the word D-I-E. And as we think about you must die, you must pay taxes, and we, we think about, you know, there's only two things you can't get away, death and taxes. Here's another thing you can't get away from are these things. Because Jesus said these things must take place. It's the same word that he used when he, when he spoke to Nicodemus when Jesus said, Marvel not that I say unto you, you must, D-E-I, you must be born again. In other words, the idea, it's not optional. And so these things must take place. Number four, a change of scenery. John is getting ready to see some altogether new things here. This is going to be exciting, the things that he's getting ready to see. And fifth, a change of focus. Now the focus has been for our, for our last several weeks of study, the focus has been on the church. The focus has been on chapter 2 and 3, the, these churches. And now we're moving to a new focus. Israel now is back in focus. The temple is going to be back in focus. Things happening on, in heaven, things happening on earth are going to be in focus. And we're going to need to be ready at any moment to make a shift we're going to be talking about things that about people who dwell on the earth. And so there are going to be different items of focus in view here. So we have a change here that's getting ready to happen. Now, what is interesting as we get into this fourth chapter and this whole phraseology of metatauta and after this and after, here's a very interesting question that folks might want to be curious about. Some of you know the answer to this is what happened to the church? Nineteen times in chapters 1, 2, and 3, we have the word church or churches used. The church refers to the ecclesia, the called out ones. Nineteen times in chapters 1, 2, and 3, we have the church mentioned, churches mentioned. Beginning at chapter 4, verse 1, to chapter 22, verse 5, the church is never referred to again as the church. Until in the end, at the very last words of the book, in the conclusion, where Jesus tells John, John, take this letter and give it to the churches. So where's the church? We're going to try to find that out as we travel on in our study together. Now, as John is caused to take all this in, let's pick up the pace here. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven... The first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me saying, come up here. And the idea that John's actually getting to be taken up in the spirit, getting a chance to see this for all that it is. And I will show you things which must take place after this. 
First thing that, that John gets to see there is the Godhead. Point one there of your outline is the Godhead. In this heavenly scene, John is, John is able to witness several things. First of all, as we've read it several times already, he heard a voice as a trumpet. This is not the first time John's heard this voice, this powerful, resounding, pure, penetrating, powerful voice. He hears this sound as of a trumpet, and it's the Lord speaking to him. He also sees a throne. Notice in verse 2 there. And then in verse, notice, immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Now here's what John is, is I mean, as soon as he gets caught up in the Spirit into heaven there, his, his attention is immediately focused on this throne. And this throne is set in heaven. Now the idea set there means it is established, it's firm, it's secure. This would have been an interesting contrast between what John had experienced in different times during his lifetime when different emperors would come and go and different leaders would come and go. Here's a throne that is established. It is set in heaven. It's firmly established. And of course, we know that it's the Lord God Almighty. And we see that point C there on your outline. He saw the one sitting on the throne. Now notice it says he saw a throne. And we'll come back to that here in a minute. And he saw the one sitting on the throne. Now, if you have the idea when you get to heaven, you're going to see God the Father on a throne and Jesus on throne and Holy Spirit on the throne, I think you're going to be mistaken. Because John said, I saw how many thrones? A throne. I saw a throne. Now, you say, Brother Tom, what about this Trinity thing? Well, I'll tell you what. The Trinity is one of those truths that is foundational and fundamental in the Word of God. The only problem is we just don't quite have the words to be able to explain it and the mind to be able to take it all in. Trying to understand and discern and, and be able to articulate the truth of the Trinity, and I could give you a lot of different pictures to illustrate it, but it's like, try, it's, it's like a finite mind trying to understand an infinite being. I mean, that, that's what we have here. But here we have the one sitting on the throne. I wish we could go further with this, but our time is rapidly slipping by. You guys aren't listening fast enough tonight. Uh, and he says, uh, notice what he says here, verse 3, And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone. Interesting, jasper, a stone in, in, in scriptures, actually, we'll, we'll come to this later on in our study again. But the jasper stone in this, in the sense of how it's used in the Bible, it's likened to our diamond, translucent, pure as the idea, referring to the attributes of God, the priceless glory of God. It was translucent and majestic. The sardius stone, you remember, talked about sardius, and, and some of your Bibles have the sardine stone. It's, it doesn't look like a fish. The sardius stone was a blood ruby red stone. And you remember back when we talked about the Sardis church, it was it it had a name that said it was alive, but it was dead. It was the red church, the restored ones. We are restored. We are made saved, justified by the ruby red blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we have the tremendous majesty of our Lord God Almighty being pictured here in this jasper and sardius stone. Notice letter D there. He says he saw a rainbow in sight like an emerald. Uh, an emerald, of course, is green. Now, when we think about a rainbow, typically our rainbows are an arc. 
I don't, I've never seen this, but I've heard this happening that when you see a rainbow from an airplane, that it's actually a circle. I'd love to see that someday. If that, if that I have, I have people who say that's the way it looks. I, I'm waiting to actually get a chance to see one. And that's what he's saying here. He said, I see, I saw a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald, probably referring to the eternal freshness of our God. You know, we're living in a day where everything's green. You know, the key word today is green. Well, here we have this rainbow around the throne, and it refers to the eternal freshness of God. Letter E here, he saw seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. Now, we've already found this. We've already studied this. We know that the seven lamps of fire burning refer to the ministry, the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then he also saw this sea of glass in verse 6. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and in the back. And we'll come to that in just a moment. So here we have this picture, this scene that John is able to take up and be able to look at. Now we come to point two. Now on your outline, on point two, on the screen, notice it's blank. Blank there for a purpose because I need your help tonight. I'm going to ask you, I'm, I'm the investigator, and I'm going to ask you to be my panel of experts. Now, I know this is a big panel, a lot of people to serve as a panel, but I'm going to give you 14 pieces of evidence to try to figure out who these next folks are. Notice what it says here in verse 4. And around the throne there were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Now I'm going to list for you tonight, and you're going to write this down there in your notes, 14 pieces of evidence to describe these 24 elders. And we're going to see if we can figure out who these folks are. Now, some of you already know, and so if you already know, just play along with the rest of us. And let's look at these pieces of evidence and how John lays it out for us in in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. And we'll see who these folks really are, these 24 elders sitting on these 24 thrones. Are they angels? Are they people? Are they whatever? What are they? Well, first of all, letter A is they are called elders. They're called elders. That wasn't too profound, that's, but what, that's one of my pieces of evidence. Now, what is interesting about this, from the get-go, if you've ever studied angels, then you would know that these 24 elders cannot be angels. Elders refer to people who are older physically than others who are younger, or older spiritually than others who are younger spiritually, but you know that angels are all the same age. There aren't any old angels and young angels. They're just angels. And I hate to burst your bubble tonight, but people don't get to go to heaven and turn into angels. I mean, that's just, that, you know, we, we say that. We say that to our children. You know, grandmother went to heaven so she could become an angel. It's, we, we probably are trying to soften their heart a little bit, but it's just not true. But anyway, let's move on. They're 24 in number. 24 is, is found several times in the Bible symbolically, and it's, it's used several times here to refer to these 24 elders that are sitting on these 24 thrones. Notice C is they are seated on thrones. Now Jesus said in Revelation 3.21, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, 
as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. He also said in John, uh, 1 John 5, 5, He who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So overcomers are those who get to sit down on these thrones and those of us who have received Christ. So they are seated on thrones. Letter D, they have they are clothed in white raiment. Now you already know who this is, but let's just keep on. I mean, white raiment speaks of inner purity, the righteousness of the saints, the work of God in our hearts as He changes us and makes us new. Letter E, they have golden crowns on their heads. And we've talked about the five crowns. There's the incorruptible crown, the crown of righteousness, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of glory, and the crown of life. Jesus said in Revelation 2.10, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you'll, be, you'll have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And so believers get these crowns. Letter F, notice verse 10. They worship God. Look at verse 10 of Revelation chapter 4. And the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him. So whoever these are, they are people who worship God. Letter F is they worship God. Letter G, they cast their crowns before the throne. Look at verse 10. The 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. And here's what they say as they do so. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things and by Your will they exist and were created. Also, they have harps. Look at chapter 5, verse 8. Now when they had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp. Harps are used and found throughout the Scriptures as a prime tool of worship, a prime instrument of worship. There's maybe somebody in the room that's, that plays a harp or has tried to play a harp. That's probably one of the most difficult instruments, I would guess, it is to play. But one of the things about a harp, you really have to have your heart into it. You really have to. And it was a, it was a key element of worship in the Old Testament. But it is very interesting. We only have people playing harps. You might think about angels playing harps, but in the Bible, people are the ones who play harps. Letter I, they have prayer requests. Look at verse 8. And golden bowls full of incense, which are the, which are the prayers of the saints and the idea there, the force of the prayer requests of the saints is what's. It also says that they sing. Look at verse nine. They sang a new song, saying, "You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation." Now let me, let's catch up in case I'm going too fast here for some folks. Let's look at these again. They're elders, letter A. They're 24 in number. Letter C, they're seated on thrones. They're clothed in white raiment. They have golden crowns on their heads. They worship God. 
They cast those crowns before the throne, letter G. They have harps. They have prayer requests. They sing. That's where we are so far. Now also look at verse 9. Here's what we have. They are redeemed. Notice this song that they sing. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. We're going to open it up next Sunday night. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. That's a key. Angels, folks, are never redeemed. Angels that did not leave with Lucifer do not need to be redeemed. The angels that left with Lucifer never get a chance to come back. We are the ones that need to be redeemed. People on earth are the ones that need to be redeemed. Letter L, they come from many nations. Notice, you've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So we've already kind of let the cat out of the bag. These are people. And they can't be limited to Jewish people because they're of all these different tribes, tongues, people, and nations from all over the world. They're redeemed. Letter M, they are a kingdom of priests. 1 Peter 2.5, you want to jot this down, you also are living stones, are being built a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.5. Also listen, 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And letter in, they will reign on the earth. Look what he says, verse 10. You have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. So who are they? These are the saints. This is the church. This is the church in heaven. And so what we have here, and so we say, why 24? Some would say, well, 24, 12 patriarchs, 12 apostles. You know, if that's the way you think, I, I don't, but if that's the way you think, okay, if that helps you. 24 actually uh, is, and it doesn't refer to the television show, 24. 24 actually, even up into the days of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, there were 24 courses of priests. You, there were 24 different groups of priests. In fact, Zechariah was of the course of Abijah. And so he was of that course of priests. So when one priest went in on the Day of Atonement, he represented the 24. When the 24 went in together, or when the 24 worked together, I should say, they represented all of the people. And so the 24 elders, the 24 sitting on this throne, in in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, then represent the church, the saints, the redeemed. Now, whether if you include the redeemed of all the ages or the redeemed of just the church, then you can just kind of wrestle with that a little bit. But this is the picture of the church in heaven. This is why from chapters 1, 2, and 3, we have these 19 references to the church and then never a mention again until the end of the book 
is because the church is in heaven and now we are the saints of God with those crowns on our head, worshiping God, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we cast those crowns before His throne and it's going to be tremendous, tremendous worship in heaven. And then we've got to go quickly to one more thing here. The four living creatures. Who in the world are these guys? Go to chapter 4, verse 6. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne there were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. We have two things that want you to notice here. First of all, their description. And I listed these for you. They are four in number. Second thing I listed here, they are living creatures. And I think that's key because I want you to understand these are not animated beings. This is not some kind of just a figurine or something. It's not just a statue. These are living beings. Now, they are alive, so they're not animated. They are living beings. They're not people. They are creatures, but they're not animals in the sense that we think of lions and tigers and bears and things like that. They are living. They have six wings. They are full of eyes. We'll talk about these creatures a little bit more as we travel on. So we have their description. Secondly, we have their duties. Look at verse 8. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This takes us right back to the book of Isaiah. You remember where Isaiah said that. And in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, when somebody really wanted to accentuate something, they said it three times, and that's why we have this three times holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and the idea there, they don't cease. They just keep on doing this. They keep on praising God. And then finally, notice the worship of the elders. Read along with me, verses down to the end of the chapter. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they exist and were created. Two things I want to share with you by, by conclusion here. Of all the things that I could say, when we think about this worship in heaven, two truths to bear in mind. First of all, no one is more important than Almighty God. When John was caught up into heaven, he saw this throne set in heaven and his attention was focused on this throne. Secondly, God alone is worthy of our praise. He's the one that we worship. He's the one that we adore. Now, let me share with you, as you're, if you're reading on with me, I would encourage you in the next week, pick up there chapter 4, verse 1, and read as far as you want to, but, it, but my request would be don't read past chapter 11. Just stay within that section. But definitely read chapters 4, 5, 6, and 7, even, even up to chapter 8, verse 1. If you want to kind of stay in that section right there, that would be a great reading for you. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you right now, I want to thank you so much for our night together. I'm excited about the opportunity we have to just continue to track on and move on into chapter 5, 6, and 7, and 8 as we move on in our study. Bless us, Father, as we travel on home tonight. Give us some good fellowship time together. If we're going out to eat or if we're staying here for a fellowship, 
whatever we're doing. Father, may we have fellowship together. Give us a good night of rest later on tonight and prepare us for our day tomorrow. In Jesus' name I pray.